The Candid Frame is supported by donations by listeners just like you. You can support the show by clicking on the donate button on the website or in the show notes. This is Ibadi NX, and this is The Candid Frame. Last weekend, I participated in a special event at the Los Angeles Center of Photography. During a weekend dedicated exclusively to street photography, seven photographers presented their work and experience to a full house. I was really honored to be among some very talented people, some of whom you'll be hearing from in a bit. What was fascinating to me about the day was the unique approach practiced by each photographer. Most of the photographers who presented photograph in Los Angeles, and so we often spend time in similar communities and areas, but our images can and are amazingly different. It served as a reminder of how photography is such a personal expression of who we are and how we see. Now, some of these photographers will be familiar to you as I've had the opportunity to interview them in the past, but some I haven't, but I'll be remedying that really soon. But make sure to check out each photographer's work when you have the chance. You'll find the link to each photographer's website in the show notes and the blog at thecandidframe.com. We start off with David Ingraham, who is a Los Angeles-based photographer and musician. His work has been presented in numerous publications such as the Los Angeles Times, Black and White Magazine, American Photo Magazine, and David Allen Harvey's Burn Magazine. His work has been exhibited worldwide from Paris to Istanbul, New York, and Toronto, and David has made the iPhone his camera of choice for the last five years. Street photography. As far as um, genre of street photography is concerned, it's been my, my genre of choice for the last uh, four years or so, and it's been a genre I've been passionate about for many years. But it actually took me quite a few years, um, over a decade actually, to be able to sort of shove aside all the other distractions genre-wise and just zero in on the street photography alone, making that my thing. You know, I was, during my early years, I was inspired by so many different types of photography and so many different types of photographers that I was, I was scatterbrained. I was all, all over the map. You know, I wanted to try everything. Um, I was doing some late night, or you know, nighttime long exposure, a la Michael Kenna stuff. I was doing a lot of intentional camera movement stuff, like Chris Frile. I was do- dabbling in portraiture, et cetera, et cetera, along with the street photography. I have no regrets about that period because that was uh, I felt like a path I had to, you know, wander in order to find my place now, which is all street photography, all iPhone. But during that time, I actually um, knew that it was, a, I, I, it was kind of a problem, the fact that I hadn't found a style I could call my own. I hadn't found my voice. Um, I say it's a problem because all, all the great photographers, all the big names, it doesn't matter who, who I name, if I were to say, you know, uh, Richard Avedon, you, you immediately think of, you know, black and white portraiture. If I were to say James Noctway, war photographer, uh, Saul Leiter, um, I think of fine art, color, street photography. Um, so, you know, when I thought David Ingram, I didn't have that thing. So I knew that was a problem. I knew I had to find my voice and my niche. Something occurred, sort of a shift in circumstances and technology, and that was the thing that helped me to find my footing and everything sort of fell into place for the first time ever. That was, I bought one of these. This was literally, I mean, this was a game changer for me photographically. It was a life changer for me, literally. I mean, it opened up doors of opportunity I hadn't foreseen. I wouldn't be standing here talking to you right now if it wasn't for the iPhone. So I'm eternally grateful to Steve Jobs, but um, I've been shooting since I was a kid. Um, I think I got my first camera when I was around eight. Uh, Graduated to an SLR by my teens. Uh, it wasn't until somewhere around the turn of the new millennium that I actually started to take, to take photography seriously as an art form. That's when I started to study the work of the greats, 
and really doing my homework as far as the, the history of the art form. Um, around the same time, I took a darkroom class at UCLA and eventually built a darkroom in my home. This, however, was at the time when the digital revolution was already in full swing. So here I was building a darkroom. Every other photographer in town was dismantling and getting rid of their darkrooms. Um, needless to say, I benefited from that because I was able to get gear for next to nothing on, on eBay. But during this time, I felt like I was sort of learning a dying art form in a sense, but I had just always been fascinated by the, the alchemy and you know, mystery of the darkroom experience, so it's something I was compelled to learn. I have no regrets about that, because even though eventually digital seduced me away from analog once and for all, with its ease and convenience, as is the case with many of us, everything I learned in the darkroom I can now apply to what I do on my phone. Um, I do all my, I shoot and process all in iPhone. So all that dodging and burning and working on, you know, upping the contrast, all that. You know, I, I like to think my images are, are much stronger visually and aesthetically because of my darkroom experience. So here's where I, I start getting into the street photography. Fast forward a few years, I'm a traveling musician, as Julie mentioned. I was getting tired of lugging camera gear around the country and the world. Uh, this is post 9-11. So TSA restrictions were getting tighter. It was just getting to be a pain in the ass. So I was, I was looking for a small, travel-friendly camera. And I started seeing the work that was being done by the iPhone, the first iPhone. And I, I, was, I thought, wait a minute, this isn't just a, a cool phone with a camera. It was actually a creative tool. I recognized that. And I thought, wait a minute. I thought, if I could get one of those and have a camera on me at all times, something I, I could shoot, process and post all from the palm of my hand, I thought that would be the ultimate travel camera. That's all I'd need. I could leave all the rest of my gear at home when I went on the road. So I bought my first iPhone 4. This is about going on, it was probably about 2012, and it changed my life. <laughs> I, I don't exaggerate when I say that. Um, not, and not just because I became absolutely obsessed with it and my social life started to suffer. My girlfriend will uh, attest to that. It opened up doors creatively for me that had been closed before. It opened up doors of opportunity that I hadn't foreseen. And it just led me down a path that has brought me where I am now as a photographer. I, I'm going to show you some images here in a minute, but I, I, I want to talk about the three things that occurred that really helped me to find my footing and, and get on my way. The first thing was the realization that this is, in my opinion, the ultimate street camera. If, if the Leica, you know, back in the 30s and 40s, made street photography possible, this has just taken it up to the next level. Um, due to its inconspicuousness, its size, its ubiquity, the fact that everybody has one, um, it's allowed me a level of invisibility in the streets that I never had before. I can just sort of blend into the woodwork and capture images going unnoticed. Even if I'm choosing to just shoot openly, people don't really take me seriously because they just see a guy with an iPhone. You know, they probably think I'm a tourist or something. So that was a real uh, game changer for me. The second thing, um, and this was literally somewhat epiphanal for me, was I realized at that time, shortly after getting this, that uh, mobile photography was the latest chapter in the history of photography, and it was actually unfolding before my eyes. It was the first time in my life where I could recall ever having that sort of realization, like I, I'm living this piece of photographic history, and I realized I'm in the right place at the right time. I've got the phone. I felt like this door of opportunity was open, and I felt like all i got to do is step through that door, start doing the best work I can, and who knows what could happen. But I, I just thought, I want to be part of this. It, it, I was excited about the idea of this new piece of history, or new chapter unfolding. I, I said, I want to play a role in this. Last but not least, Instagram. Um, I got on Instagram shortly after it had first come about. I, I don't think it had been around more than six months. I started to discover the work of great street photographers like Richard Cochi Hernandez, whose work has had a profound influence on me. Uh, Elif Sayabatmaz, who actually goes by Elif Gulen now, I think, 
Fish Eye Dreams is her handle. I connected immediately with these people's work, not just because it was brilliant work, but I could recognize that we were coming from a similar background. I could tell they had an analog history to their work. I could see it. <clears throat> so I started connecting with these people. I started building up friendships with these people. It was early stage of Instagram. It was easier to do that. It wasn't so saturated. And I started having like a visual dialogue. <clears throat> so for the first time in my life, as opposed to the old days where photography was more of a sort of lone endeavor, you know, almost a lonely one, you know, the late nights in the dark room by myself, which I actually cherished. It was a very meditative experience, and I miss that. But, you know, I'd get prints back and whatever I liked, I'd stick in a photo album, shove it in a cupboard somewhere, you know. Obviously, the internet changed that, Flickr changed that, and then Instagram just took it to the next level for me. It's like all of a sudden, I had this worldwide exhibition space in the palm of my hand, and that's how I view Instagram. Um, I take it very seriously. Some people just post pictures of their dog or what they had for lunch. That's fine, because you can do whatever you want with it, but what I learned from people like Kochi is if you treat your Instagram feed seriously, other people will as well. So, you know, for the first time, I felt like people are watching. People I admire are watching what I'm doing. And that, that get, just put a fire under my butt and motivated me like I'd never been motivated before. I hit the streets running, literally, figuratively, and I haven't turned back. It was at that point where it seemed like all those years of struggling to find my way, to find my voice, all of a sudden something clicked, everything fell into place, and for the first time I was able to say, that's it. Street photography, black and white mainly, L.A., I'm going to represent the streets of L.A. because at that time there weren't a lot of L.A. street photographers, and I said, all iPhone. I'm going to do it all with the iPhone. It was when I put those restrictions upon myself and worked within those restrictions that I, for the first time in my life, started doing you know, consistent work. I started building up a relatively strong body of work within a recognizable style. And I was actually, I became more prolific in that period than I had. I mean, in the last four years, I've produced more work than I had in the decade before that. So, you know, that's what it took. A little shift in circumstances, shift in technology, and all of a sudden... Somehow I found my voice, and then it almost felt like overnight I was, had become a photographer. You know, obviously it wasn't that simple. It took years, but when it finally happened, it was just like the floodgates opened creatively, and I just started producing work like I had never done before, to the point where I was even kind of taken aback by it. So I was fortunate enough to um, take a David Allen Harvey workshop in Oaxaca a few years back, of one of the many things I walked away from that with was the realization that just what a, a subtly powerful punch one can pack if you combine the right music with the right imagery. Um, I think if you do it in a way where it's got an organic flow to it and they match up, it can speak much louder than words. The next photographer is someone who you are likely very familiar with because it's me. I, I don't spend a lot of time on this show talking about my work and process, but I hope you enjoy the introduction to what goes on in my head when I'm out there making photographs. First and foremost, I'm, I'm a photographer. And one of the things that people ask me is what, what kind of photographer you are, right? And I hate that question. Uh, I just want to say I just take pictures of everything because if you tell people you're a street photographer, you get this blank look, you know, because people just don't understand why anyone would want to take pictures of strangers. You know, it's just a concept that most people don't get. But for me, uh, I learned uh, photography not too far from here at the Boys Club. Uh, boys, it was the Boys Club of Hollywood. Now it's the Boys and Girls Club of Hollywood. They used to be on uh, uh, St. Andrew's Place and the Long Parade. And uh, one of the first things that I did when I got a camera was I went out into the streets um, to make photographs. So for me, the streets and photography have always been intertwined. It's the very first place that I went to make photographs. And as I got more familiar with the history of, of uh, photography and photographers, you know, was really, I'm reading about this history of photography. It was really interesting that at first when people started going out there, one of the frustrations they talked about was the fact that they couldn't get people frozen in the image. 
because the exposure was so long. So you would get the buildings and, and the environment uh, frozen and sharp, or relatively sharp for, for the day, but the people were always kind of blurred. And that's really kind of fascinating to kind of discover that, uh, that this way of shooting has a really long, a long tradition. So I've always been shooting on the streets, and one of the things that I kind of wanted to talk about today is just my more recent uh, journey as, as a photographer. I've been shooting for a long time. I started when I was probably eight, eight or nine years old, taking pictures, working in a dark room by the time I was about 10. So for me, it was just, just fascinating. Seeing that image come out from that blank sheet of paper uh, was just magic for me. So for me, it's always been about trying to produce a really good, a really good photograph. But as with anyone, uh, I've always had moments where I feel like I'm doing some really great work, and there are other times where I feel like I'm just a hack. And uh, I think as photographers, you, you go through those phases all, all the time. But as a result of a lot of the teaching that I've been doing, uh, not only here, uh, but in my own workshops and, and teaching at the Art Center and just talking with a lot of photographers, this feeling of inadequacy, of wondering whether you're quote-unquote talented, what, wondering whether or not you're going to be able to become a better photographer, something that's always just been on my mind, and um, especially over the last couple of years, because I felt I was looking at my work and I'm going, yeah, it's good, but I'm, I'm not hitting the mark. And one of the things that I started doing about six months ago is I started photographing every day. I work right now at um, an NPR show called Bullseye with Jesse Thorne. I'm, I'm uh, helping to produce, produce the show, and it's near MacArthur Park. During my lunch breaks and during my br uh, breaks, I'm taking at least 20 to 30 minutes every day to go out and shoot. And you wouldn't think it's a whole lot of time, and relatively it isn't. But it's been really interesting to go out into that neighborhood every day and try and make a photograph, and try to make an interesting photograph, and not make the same photograph over and over again. Because I think that, 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 at least for me, one of the, the things that would get me frustrated is I got to a point where I felt I could make a good photograph of most things. You know, I could make a, a photograph that was composed really pretty well, it was exposed properly, it was focused, doing all those things. And people would look at those photographs and go, oh, that's a really good photograph. But for me, I wasn't completely satisfied with it because I know I had made a, a photograph like that or similarly before. And one of the things that I wanted to do when I started going out now is I... I don't want to go out there and just make the same pictures over and over again. So having the restriction of just shooting for 20 or 30 minutes has been remarkable. Because when I'm going out there, it's not just the fact that it's sort of a different environment than, than I'm used to. I do a lot of stuff downtown, in downtown Los Angeles. But it was just the idea, okay, I'm going to walk down different corners, take a, make a left here, make a right here, leave at about 3 o'clock to go shoot, leave at 11 o'clock to go shoot, and I'm just, it's just a completely random thing. I'm having probably the most fun as a photographer right now, going out there and just, and just playing. And I think that's really the ultimate goal for me as, 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 as a photographer, especially as a street photographer, is to constantly be playing, trying to see what I can find, trying to, to make a photograph that, uh, not only make a photograph that I'm happy with, a photograph that, ref that, that reflects the fact that I'm getting better. And I think that's probably the most satisfying thing that any artist can, can feel, is to feel like you're, you're getting better. And working within limitations, I think, is a really good thing. I mean, me working 20 to 30 minutes, if that, uh, each day to go out and shoot, I'm, I'm being incredibly productive, probably more productive than having three to four hours to go out and, and make a photograph. So... I can encourage you guys to go out there and remember to not take yourself so seriously and just enjoy yourself, please do that. Dana Barsoon is our next photographer, and I've had the pleasure of witnessing his journey as a photographer over the last several years. I interviewed him back in episode 144. He currently works as a special project photographer at the Huntington Library, Museum, and Botanical Gardens. He's a self-taught photographer, and he's been shooting on the street and wherever his camera takes him for the last seven years. 
He works with film, and his photographs have been featured in Los Angeles, San Francisco, and Edinburgh. By the photo, you'd think that I've, been, I've had a camera in my hand since I was you know, a, a little child, but it's actually not really all that, all that true. I actually have a history um, of photography in my family. My dad was actually a, um, he was a combat correspondent in Vietnam. So he, um, so I was lucky enough, a lot of my baby, baby pictures are all taken on slide film and I still have all those, all those slides. So it's kind of one of those things that's kind of always, I've always had, had with me and, and I still do. I grew up, both my parents were, um, even though my dad had been a photographer, he, once he got back from Vietnam, he was, uh, both my parents were, um, were athletes um, and they both got degrees in um, physical education. So as you can imagine, I kind of grew up on ball fields. Either that or on ski slopes or snowboard slopes, whatever. So growing up, just, you know, really, I kind of, you know, I, I wanted to be like my mom and my dad. So I, I kind of took the athletic route. You know, I, I went on to uh, do pretty well in sports. And I ended up, um, I ended up playing sports um, at a Division One level in college. Art, photography, and anything of that nature just was really not on, on my radar back then, you know. Um, so, I, you know, I... I Majored in business in college, and um, and then I went to grad school, and I got into marketing. And um, it's really funny stories. Like my last class before I graduated with my master's degree, I took a like a an MBA marketing class, and we were doing like advertising for Hyundai, and I was the creative guy on on the job. And um, so I you know had to do a lot of the creative and whatever, and. It was, it was through that that I realized, oh my, like, this is actually my route. You know, it's not, not the business side, but more the creative side. And that's kind of what sparked, uh, sparked me to, to start photographing. I, um, I took an inter- internship in, um, in Seattle, Washington for a snowboarding company back in probably about 2000, 2001. And I bought my first camera. And it was a di- digital camera, actually. I, I got one of those, I don't know if you remember those old 2.8 like, megapixel Fuji like boxes that came out in like 2000, 2001. Well, that was actually my first camera, was a digital camera. And I was so stoked with that thing. That, that thing was fun. Um, although I, I don't think I, I can even ever find any of those photographs ever again. They're totally lost. I think, I think I printed some on paper, but the paper turned like cyan or magenta after like two years because the paper technology just wasn't there, you know, at the time. I, at the time, I, was, I would go up to, I was, it was up in, in Washington, Seattle, Washington, and and I'd go up to the slopes, and we'd be doing like R and D with a lot of the, a lot of the pro snowboarders. And I was, you know, I was taking pictures and doing some like behind the scenes stuff, just just for fun. I mean, it wasn't for anything, and and it ended up being published on their on their website. And that was like kind of my first taste of, oh wow, I can actually, you know, do something with with um, you know with photography. And and it just kind of, um, you know, I didn't really take it too seriously for for a long time. Um, and then I had some. Um, you know, some, some kind of personal stuff that, that happened in, in, in my life, and that's kind of when I got my first, uh, like, first DSLR. I, it was back in 2004, and I decided I was going to take this, this road trip up the West, the West Coast by myself, you know, and, and go see some family up in Seattle. I bought a, I sold a bunch of stuff, and I, I bought a 7D at the time, Nikon 7D, and um, went on my merry little way, and, um, you know, it was it was a great time, great fun, and um, I you know I started shooting a lot, and you know, like I said, I was like Julia said, I was self-taught, just kind of learned from the internet everything I could, just kind of took it all in. Um, but after a long time, like I really I really started to um, not not that photography got boring, but I just it didn't it wasn't personal enough. There just wasn't there wasn't anything. I wasn't seeing much, you know. Um, I could make a good picture, but it it wasn't connecting. And so I, um, I, uh, you know, I kind of stopped doing it a little bit, dabbling it here and here and there. Then I, you know, I went to um, I went to Tokyo uh, with my wife, and I, I, I actually we got engaged in in Tokyo. And um, one of my friends, actually a Barinex, who was just speaking, I've I've known a Barinex for for quite a long time. He's like, oh, you know, I really liked your images that you took, you know, in Tokyo. And he's, he said he was doing this workshop, um, documentary style kind of workshop in LA and asked me to join him and and I, I said yeah it sounds you know sounds great and I, I went and that was kind of where I was kind of first ex- exposed to um, you know documentary style or, or what we call street photography and that's kind of um, that was kind of my first taste and 
And it, it felt like for the first time I was able to, to like, you know, what I was feeling inside, I was able to kind of like see out there. And it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily like, um, I mean, for me, just, just roaming around and taking pictures was like I could connect, I could connect what I was feeling with what I was taking. And for the first time, I actually felt closer to my work. And that's kind of, um, kind of how it, how it started. Um, this is my, my wife and, and newborn, newborn child. Yeah, it's it's been a, a beautiful ride, and as you can imagine, now that uh, now that I do have a child, like my my shooting, I, I don't get to go out and shoot on the street as much as I'd like to, you know. Um, and that's that's kind of what I wanted to kind of present today is like, you know, we all have busy lives, you know, we all have a lot to do, and and as much as I'd like to like go and shoot in the street all the time, it's just not it's just not something that um, that I'm able to do today. So I have to figure out. Well, what else, you know? Today we're going to talk about film versus digital. Just kidding. We're not. We're not. Um, but I just wanted to kind of get this out of the way. I, um, like Julia said, I work at the, um, the Huntington Library. And, of course, I, um, you know, we shoot with, you know, big old um, medium format digital 180 megapixel camera backs and, and stuff like that. So I'm working, I'm working in the digital realm just pretty much all day, every day. Um, I also work as a freelance photographer. I have my own clients. I also work for a photographer um, on the west side as an associate. Um, so I do a lot of um, I do a lot of corporate stuff. I I do corporate headshots. I do uh, big events that that sort of thing. Um, so I'm shooting digital all the time. So I'm that workflow is just kind of ingrained in me. So um, when I first started shooting on the street. Um, of course, I had a digital camera, um, but it was just real big and bulky, and there wasn't these like cool little X1, uh, you know, Fuji X100s and and all this stuff that that we have now. Um, and I needed something that was fast, light, and so I actually started shooting film. I had begun to enjoy the process. So for the past uh, since 2009, I've actually I've for my personal work, I shoot absolutely all all film. Um, and I'm still having a blast with it. You know, I, I, I shoot on um, rangefinders mostly. Um, I always have a camera on me. If I don't have my, uh, my Leica on me, then I always have, I always have a point-and-shoot um, film camera in my pocket. So it, it's, always, it's always there. Um, yeah, so that's, that's kind of like the nuts and bolts of, of kind of um, how I shoot. You know, for me, uh, when I when I first started, especially on the street, like I was looking around and online, and everyone had all these projects, and I'd I'd go to talks, and everyone would be talking about you know their projects and how you need a project, and and it's funny, like when I when I started, I was just like, I have to have a project, you know, it was just like this thing that was always on my mind, like you know, in order to to do anything, I had to have a project, and so it was always like this huge like kind of burden on me. It's like I'm never going to be anything until I have a project. But you know, while while still thinking that, like while still thinking about what my project was going to be, I was still out shooting. So, you know, what ended up happening is after a while, I just said, "Well, forget about forget about the project. I'm just going to keep shooting." Uh, it's really funny because I was actually talking to Barry X before we got here, and um, we were listening, or we uh, listened. We both happened to have listened to this little uh, feature by Lee Fried, Friedlander, and he was talking about it was years back, or it was, actually it was recently, I think. And he was talking about his his work, and um, he he's always had the approach of like kind of shoot now and ask questions or you know figure out what you're going to do with your work later. And it was such a breath of fresh air for me. It was like you're like oh you're you're telling me that I don't have to have a project. I can just wait and then put it all tied all together later. And you know I think it's just one type of approach. Um, I think some people work better you know with with like the structure of having a project. But I think something, someone like myself, that kind of is more of on like the I have to feel it out, you know, sort of thing. I, I've, I've, you know, realized over time that I, I really have to just, just go out and shoot. And then when something kind of, when I start seeing stuff, I'm like, oh, there's potential here. Then, then it's like, oh, I got to go for this. And and it just kind of, it all just kind of, um, kind of happens for, from there. Um, so kind of what I want to talk about today is kind of this idea of like. Like whatever, whenever, and wherever, and I think it's kind of a, a lost, kind of a lost art in a sense because I think you know we all think that we have to go somewhere, or do this or do that in order to like make good images. But there's images everywhere. 
And I, I think I, I just, you know, through my own work, I just wanted to show kind of how, um, how that, how that kind of takes place. As far as whatever, um, one of my big idols uh, was, has always been William Eggleston. And he had such a democratic way of, of shooting. It didn't matter whether it was a person or, or like, you know, this, like that woman over there. He's, you know, you, when you look at her, you think, oh, he's taking a picture of the woman. But in a sense, that woman and that post with that chain and that, that padlock, that padlock and that chain is just as important in that, in that image to him as the woman. You know, and, and you know, this image over here of the light is, is just as profound. And I think that that idea is, is, is really, you know, to me is just kind of, it's just, it's, it, it, it's a breath of fresh air to be able to, to, to not just have to think that every image has to be like, you know, the best street image ever made, you know, because it, it's more, there's going to be, I mean, that's like, you know, for me, a lot of those street images that I showed earlier, I mean, that was, I think, I think there was a total of maybe, 18 images or so that I showed. And those images are a culmination of like six to seven years. So you kind of average that out and it's like, you're, you're, you're probably taking two, two to three really good photographs a year and where, where the rest go, you know what I mean? So um, for me, you know, on a daily basis, I'm, you know, I, I work, you know, whatever, seven and a half hours. And um, so for me, like going out on my lunch break is like the, kind of like Mbari X talked about, it's like the one time I get to, to kind of go out and, and really, you know, have some time to myself. And, um, you know, because I, for when I first started shooting on the street, I, I wasn't, uh, I was mostly freelancing, so I kind of had my own schedule. So it's real easy to go downtown and, and do that sort of thing. But, but now it's like, you know, I've got a family, got, you know, got a nine to five. So it's like I really have to kind of um, figure out, you know, when, when's a good time to shoot. So, like, for example, um, what I, what I do is I, you know, instead of taking like an hour lunch at noon, I'll, I'll take like a, I'll take a 15 minute break or something and, and then I'll, so I'll eat, I'll eat lunch, you know, and then just go right back to work and then I'll take my, my hour break like around, you know, three, three thirty, depending on, on how the day is. So, so I, you know, I have a lot of, uh, have some nice light and I work in a place where we get, you know, maybe it depends on the day, but we get anywhere from two to you know, two to five hundred people um, at the Huntington Library each day. So it's it's kind of a cool, cool little, uh, cool little place to kind of just hang out. And they've got a lot of a lot of land to cover there too. So you can kind of, I'm I'm fortunate to be able to kind of roam around and and kind of see how a lot of these things look in different types of light, different types of year. So it's it's been it's been kind of fun. And um, and you know, when there's not a lot of people, you also have to figure out, okay, well, what is there to shoot? You know, so that's where kind of, it's kind of what Gary Winogrand used to talk about, you know, like, you know, that, that's the problem, you know, you have to figure out the problem, and, you know, you have to adapt to your surroundings, and, you know, how can I make a photograph from, from what, what I have, you know, what there is in front of me. And I think over the years, you know, I've kind of taken away a lot of the restrictions and kind of just kind of had some fun. I've, I've gotten some, some different cameras, and I shoot like some medium format and even 4 by 5 once in a while. And it, it's kind of giving me a chance to just kind of just have a little fun with it, you know. And, you know, one of the interesting things I learned about um, Cartier-Bresson is, you know, he, he photographed for, you know, many years, but he had a lot of restrictions on himself, like, you know, single, single camera, single lens. He wouldn't crop his photos, that kind of thing, although he did. But, um, but then, you know, later on in life, he, he totally gave up shooting, you know, it just wasn't something, it, I think, and I think that can happen sometimes is when you put a lot of restriction, at least for me, if I put a lot of restrictions on myself, then I get bored with things. So um, it's been fun to kind of just kind of play around a little bit, you know. But yeah, I mean, you know, Winogrand also talk, talked about like, you know, photography is like the, like the game of photography. And, and that's kind of what it is. It, it's kind of a fun game to play, you know, and you're out there. It's kind of like this, this game between content and form. And I think that's... Um, that's kind of what we do as, as, you know, as photographers, you know. I still, it's hard for me to call myself a street photographer, but it's like, well, you know, when you are like, you know, fishing around your own neighborhood, you're really, it's like you're really looking for just the tiniest little thing, you know, because you're walking the same streets all the time. So it's, sometimes it's really hard to see things, but it's, it's just like really, it's probably one of the hardest, I'd say one of the hardest places to shoot is where you live. 
Michelle Groskoff is a street photographer based here in Los Angeles. She's made a practice of shooting the world around her almost daily for the past 20 years. Her work has been featured in the British Journal of Photography, American Photo Magazine, and Condé Nast Traveler. Michelle is an ongoing contributor to Vice.com, and her themes revolve around tween, teen culture, girlhood, and suburban ideology and iconography. As you'll hear, though Michelle photographs strangers, she is exploring aspects of her own life and her own history in her photographs. They reveal an immediacy and an intimacy that you don't often see in other street photographers' work. I was just saying to Eberonics that um, uh, I love how we've, uh, all of these photographers gathered here today, kind of approach street photography with uh, different intentions. And I guess for me, I uh, am often uh, sort of angry at the uh, sort of framework that's put around street photography. It feels really claustrophobic to me. Uh, My background is filmmaking. And I learned very early on how important direction is and how important it is to have a viewpoint and to know exactly what you want to tell people. And so I've been shooting my whole life since I was a teenager, but film was always my main um, medium of choice And um, until probably about 10 years ago where I really dug my heels in and um, explored photography, specifically street photography, And my take on it has always been really selfish. Um, I think street photography for me is a way to get to know myself. It's a form of autobiography. And the reason why I have that little quote in my bio is because um, my childhood had such an uh, extreme impact on me as a human being, as a woman in this world. And it's very much reflected in my work. And when I'm out there in the streets, I am very conscious of what I'm looking at. Often, the things that I'm looking at sort of trigger feelings from my childhood, and that's just a really big part of my work. So even though I, as you'll see and you will continue to see, I get very close to strangers and I use a flash and it's very um, confrontational, but I think I'm sort of soft about it, but still confrontational. it really is about me. I just happen to notice something about somebody that reminds me of a neighbor or my aunt or uh, a friend or an experience I had as a child in the suburbs. And I grew up in the 80s in uh, a Jewish suburb, so I don't know if any of that has any connotation to you guys, but it evokes for me images of um, a sort of gaudiness and like nails and big hair and big glasses and I lived in New York forever I like left Toronto as a very young person and I moved to Europe for a while and then I came to New York and I lived there for like 15 years and I was always doing this kind of street photography that was much more decisive moment which I think it's something that everybody's more used to or associates to street photography and I had a good lot of fun with that I think New York's a great place for that but The minute I got to L.A., I just, like, switched that up for myself and decided, you know, I'm getting close to 40. I am now 40. I'm getting close to 40. I want to kind of explore these feelings that I'm having as a woman and what my childhood means to me and all this stuff. And so suddenly it became less about that theater in the street and more about how I was walking through the street and what I noticed. I I love color so much, and I love the anonymity of teenagers and how they're all kind of amazing and the same, especially girls and cell phone culture. And um, I think that there's a real uh, power in images of youth that really attracts me. I think that also has a lot to do with my experience as a teenager. Um, So basically what I'm trying to say is photography is just this vehicle for really, like, getting to know yourself and also really loving yourself. Sounds so, like, L.A. But um, I really, I think I just really like how I see the world. And um, I overheard in the line of the bathroom you saying how you love to take close-ups, but it doesn't always work for you. I love a good close-up. I hate, like, there are certain shots that, totally require the language of the long lens, but, um, or the long shot, rather, but 
for me, I just want to get really close, and I think close-ups are beautiful, and they're really hard to get when you have a flash on on your camera, but I think there's an immediacy and a kind of um, intensity uh, that's really beautiful that you don't get when you're far away, I think. So, okay, back to the whole film thing. I was a cinematography major and a directing major, and then I was a film professor. Uh, I taught a master's class in filmmaking in New York. I am very, very conscious of how things fill the frame, and I think it is super important to recognize the power of the frame, and I'm very conscious of everything in the frame. And I do a lot of cutting off because I like the universal, and I like the universality of details of people. Um, like I said, I love girls. I love girl culture and the way girls congregate. Um, I also like shooting when boys congregate, but it's always such a hassle. Um, but I really love seeing packs of girls. And there's, only, there's just like a time in your life when you're young and you have your friends, and it, it's, uh, it's so dramatic. And I love the kind of drama that's found, that can be found in something really banal. So I'll go around the Grove, for example, and there's always packs of girls. Like, what are they doing? I mean, there's such a, there's like so much forward action in them. Like, they're all looking at something. They're really amazing. I shoot a lot. I shoot almost every day, if not every day. And I, I think, for me, I don't necessarily shoot for that one perfect image, because that's not what I'm even going for. Um, I shoot, I often come home with like 30 great images that I really love. And what all together they tend to kind of create a, a place, this fantasy place uh, for me, or they all add up pieces to something. So it's not about one shot. It's really hard for me. I just have thousands and thousands of photos, and it's always really hard for me to choose a few to show people. I don't like restrictions, but I like being really um, sincere in something, and I think telephoto lens is really creepy for street. That's just me, and I think that if I want to get a shot, then I should have to take the risk, and if somebody wants to talk to me or yell at me, I guess that's their right, and I'm happy to have conversations with people. Usually it happens after I've taken the shot. It, it means a lot to me that they know that I'm taking the shot and that they... I don't like when they give a reaction necessarily, but I do like when they're aware that I'm there. It's like a, a, a challenge, B, yeah, just a, a, I think I've had more amazing conversations that way than I even thought I ever would. Like sometimes I walk down the street and I'll meet like 10 people in a row and they tell me their life story after I shoot them and, you know, or they want to see the photo and they're really flattered or. What you look at indicates so much about you. And then you put a frame around it, and that's pretty much it. And that's what I've been practicing my whole life. It's like, this is what I like, this is what I want to say, and this is what I want to share with you. And it doesn't have to be a play of light. I'm not technical at all. I'm a very technical person, but I choose in my photography not to be very technical. I have um, very basic settings that I use pretty much because it's the same light every day. It's just really empowering to know that Photography can really um, sort of really get you into yourself. I don't know. Like, that's it. Um, I hope at least understand what I'm trying to convey. And you may not like it, and you may not think it's that interesting, and that's totally cool, but there is always going to be intention, nothing loose or happenstance. Or... Um, one more thing I want to say is, like, I'm always really disheartened when I look online at lists of street photographers, and it's all these white dudes, and I just want to say that I think everybody in here, it's our absolute, just, it should be our objective to explore street photography through the eyes of not only women, but people of color, transgender people. This is a new world that we're living in, and they bring such magical things to the table, and they're often these wonderful artists that get ignored for the same 10 photographers that I see day in and day out. And all those photographers, those 10 photographers are amazing, and they're masters, but like, I really think we owe it to all of us to explore the grandiosity of street photography and all the people doing beautiful work, and especially women who, who really contributed on a great level to the history of street photography.
finally, we end with Matt Stewart, who is a member of the Street Photography Collective in Public, and who I had the opportunity to interview for TCF back in episode 271. Matt is from England and was in town to promote his new book, All That Life Can Afford. Matt brings a wit and a humor to his photographs and his presentation, and he was a great way to wrap up a wonderful evening. I'm going to give you a history of me, because um, I do think I come from a slightly interesting place. Not particularly interesting, but slightly interesting. Um, I was born 1974, 29th of March, Aries. My dad was uh, a keen amateur photographer. There was always cameras hanging around. He was also a graphic designer. He's, he's retired now, but he was a graphic designer. And that's really the only interesting thing I can talk to you about me at this stage, was, is my dad, because I wasn't that interesting. This is my first obsession. Uh, and I think obsession is something that you really need to, to have uh, in order to be, I think, good at, good at something, or at least half decent. You need to really practice, okay? So anyone here thinks that they can just pick up a camera and go out once a month and be brilliant, good luck, okay? So um, I practiced a trumpet every night for four years. I had a really inspirational trumpet teacher, uh, and... Inspirational teachers help. Uh, so I practiced for him every night. I, I ended up, as Julia mentioned, uh, playing a solo in front of the Queen Mother at Westminster Abbey. However, shortly after that, my trumpet teacher, Mr. Kuehl, he died. At that point, I gave up the trumpet. That was the end of my first obsession. I've had five obsessions, okay? Um, so first obsession over, and I had nothing after that obsession, and I was pretty pissed off. Luckily... 1986 hit, um, Back to the Future came out. Uh, everyone's seen Back to the Future. Anyway, Back to the Future was a big thing, and it introduced me to um, street skateboarding, skateboarding on the street, uh, which was my first real uh, connection uh, with you know, public places and uh, street architecture, uh, stairs, curbs. You know, how can I jump up onto that? How can I jump down that? How can I watch out for that? Um, so I became very obsessed by skateboarding, and, and I became very good at that. So absolutely love skateboarding, got really good at skateboarding because I practiced all the time, practiced, practiced, practiced. I was a, a centerfold in a skateboard magazine, um, and I even managed to get the front cover of a skateboard magazine. Anyway, the magazine lasted for three issues. There was such a massive outcry about the first issue with the cover, the kid with the gun, teenage gangster, that it got shut down. Um, this was this was when things started to fall to pieces a bit, um, and my I stopped skateboarding. I just stopped. I just stopped skateboarding. That no one died, and I discovered my third obsession. That obsession lasted for a couple of years. I don't remember much about it, um, but I was obsessed. I was obsessed. Um, anyway, shortly after that, my father, uh, David, um, who has published a, a book on witty thinking and graphic design. So potentially there's some sort of gene thing going on here. Um, he said to me, um, Matthew, you're going to have to get yourself a job. And I said, uh, but dad, you know, I don't know what I want to be. It's about 18. And he said, I don't really give up about what you want to be. I just want you to get a job, which was one of the best things he could have done. So off I went and I got myself a job. I was thinking, you know, CEO of something or managing director. Um, I managed to find myself a job uh, taking customer complaints in a call center. I did, did this job for two years, and it was pretty soul-destroying. Uh, I had a little headset, and um, the, the calls would come through, and I, I remember saying, uh, welcome to People's Phone. My name's Matt. How can I help you? And then it would just, and then just like this sh shouting and screaming would come down the headphones, and, ah, sorry, sir, sorry, sorry. So this was not a nice job, but I think, you know, not nice jobs you learn a lot from. However... Luckily, my dad, my dad bought me two books. And so I, I, was, I was sat there uh, answering all these phone calls, with these angry phone calls, looking through these books. And I became obsessed for the fifth time. There's no pictorial ev evidence of me doing Kung Fu, thankfully. So that was, there was a brief affair with Kung Fu. Um, so for the fifth time, I became obsessed and just absolutely fell in love with this photography. I didn't know what it was. But I knew I loved it. I could almost taste it when I looked through the book. It was like having food. Um, and so um, my dad, David, 
who always comes to my rescue, um, sent me on a course, on a workshop, similar to the type of workshops that, that happen here. Uh, you know, you, you had to do a class, three-day three class, and I was uh, sent on a workshop with this guy. This is Leonard Freed, and um, he was a very famous Magnum photographer. Uh, he died maybe 10 years ago, lovely, lovely man, um, and I went on a workshop with him, and we actually saw how he photographed. Um, and that was, uh, that was such an amazing eye-opener, because until you actually start seeing how these people do it, you don't really know how to do it uh, or what to do. And so he was, he'd just wear a little hat, and he'd sort of potter around. He was quite old by then, you know. And he'd just, you know, walk up to people and go... And he'd stand there for, for, for you know, two or three minutes. Um, and, and no one knew he was there. And this was the thing. This was the crazy thing. Like, Leonard could go invisible. And it was such an inspiration to see him. And, 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 but to see how he moves and see how he walks. And this is something that I think is really, really important. So it's all very well, you know, trying to get this, these great pictures, but if you can't move in the right way towards getting these great, mediocre, terrible pictures, um, you're going to be seen a mile off. And Leonard would just potter around, you know, and no one, no one knew he was there. And so physicality on the street, I think, is very important. I'm going to talk about that um, for a little bit. So. Leonard, amazing. Uh, he did a presentation similar to this one. His was far better, um, but hey, he's dead. Um, <laughs> and it, he came to this picture, uh, which was always, uh, I mean, for me, this, he, he showed us this picture and he said, okay, what do you see? What do you see? He said this to the class. It was about this size of a class. But he, he said, uh, no, but really, what do we see? And he actually broke the picture down, which I found, it sort of opened something in my brain. Um, about how you look at pictures. So, you know, oh, blimey, Jesus. You know, I was looking at this and hadn't seen any of their stuff. So Leonard really opened this up to me. And he's, he's close here. He's probably shooting with a 50, I'd say. Maybe a 35. But he's close. He's really close. And he would have gone there as another... He'd have been a bit younger, but he would have done his funny little walk. And he would have probably sat next to this guy for a long time. He'd have hung out there and taken a few pictures... He'd, look, he'd have pointed the camera up at the ceiling and pretended he was taking pictures of the ceiling. He'd have focused on the guy, back up the ceiling, taken that up at the ceiling, looked around, scratched his nose, scratched his head, taking another picture. He'd have been there for a while. This is not one frame. That was one frame, but really, you try and shoot as many as you can, okay, in order to get that decisive moment. There's lots of indecision surrounding that decision. <laughs> Now, so one of the things that I'm going to say time and time and time again is never say to yourself, got it, got it. Because <laughs> <laughs> nine, nine times out of ten, you haven't, all right? And, and even with digi you know, digital, and then you look at it, and then maybe you have got it. But while you're busy looking at it, you know, the possibility of you having it, you're missing something even better. Okay, so never think you've got it. Just keep going until it's gone. I got a job uh, working for a photographer. Um, I offered to wash his car for uh, free every weekend. And I finally got the job. He was going to pay me £25 a day, £125 a week. I mean, you could probably buy three lunches nowadays with that. And I worked for him being his assistant. What I found out later is my dad was paying him to pay me. <laughs> yeah. Commercial photographers. So uh, I was delivering his jobs on the tube because that was the cheapest way and that's the way he wanted me to do it. And I gave myself a little project taking pictures of people on the tube. So I started taking pictures in galleries because on rainy days, which we have a lot of in London, you have to find somewhere to go and shoot. So I shot pictures in galleries. And by this time though, I was kind of thinking, oh, you know, all these great black and white photographers and, oh, wow, it's pretty heavy, you know, heavy. Uh, the legacy. Oh. <laughs> and I, I, I started, I, I was, I realized I, I'm a sort of funny, reasonably, you know, that's my character, that's my personality. And I started to, you know, I was taking funny pictures or witty pictures, and they were me. And I couldn't be, um, you know, dark and, and kind of broody or whatever. Not broody. I wasn't that kind of guy anyway. So 
So um, black and white, uh, by that stage, um, I kind of decided not to do it anymore. I wanted to do color. So I started taking pictures in color. I hit the streets, started doing um, slightly more busy pictures. Uh, one of the other things I learned after 10 years of getting it wrong was that 500th of a second is the key to life. <laughs> okay? Another thing I wanted to say is sometimes when someone does something and you miss it, they do it again. Right, it's all very well this guy standing up here telling us about all this stuff he does out on the street, rah, 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 Cartier Bresson, rah, rah, rah. Uh, how does he make money? How does he make a living? Um, so I have two different ways of making a living. I either do what I do on the street, somewhere else, in an office, in a museum. There's three Fs, okay? There's fishing, where you wait for something. There's following, like I did with the basketballs. And then there's F that sounds like duck, but isn't duck. Okay? And that one is when it's just happening, and you just better, better get it. Don't think about it. Get it quick. So there's three Fs. And then I do advertising, which is completely different. And this is like, this is the big bucks that keep you out on the street for months. Okay? Uh, but this um, advertising is all staged, all fake, all not real. L important lesson number two <laughs> is don't wear an iPod. Don't wear music. I know it all feels like fluffy and you're like, ah, oh, fluffy, fluffy, ooh. You know, don't do it because you're losing one of your most important senses. And I heard a conversation between two of the school kids. One of them said, Oi, Roy, why don't you do your somersault? And Roy said, I'll give it a go, but I need to practice it first because I don't want to do it on concrete because if I land badly on the concrete, it will hurt. So I'm going to go over there and I'll try it on the grass. All right? So him and his friend went over to the grass and Roy ran, flipped, landed on his feet and then slipped. And so he only did it once. But I heard the conversation and I went over to the grass and none of these people knew that he was, was about to do a backflip. And I lift up the camera, one frame, and it came out pretty good. Triggers. This is something I'll quickly talk about. When you're doing street photography, you're just going out there into the big wide world and you actually do need to slightly focus on things. Triggers are important. Uh, whether it's hand gestures, whether it's hats, whether it's smokers, just things that you respond to. It doesn't have to be good, but at least you give it a go. You give it a go. You pick them up along the way. Um, one of my triggers is old, sad-looking women. I just, I don't know why. I don't think about it too much, but I take lots of pictures of ladies that look like that. This was the best, best photography day of my life. Two weeks before this, I'd got a phone call Oh, no, an email from Joel Meyerowitz, who I'd never spoken to in my life before, um, saying, I've seen your work, I really like it. I'm coming to London in two weeks' time. Do you want to go and take pictures with me? <laughs> I'll check the diary. <laughs> so I met, I, met, I met up with Joel, and uh, who's just one of the most fantastic guys you'll, you'll ever, ever meet. Very, extremely generous, super nice guy. And he said, just, you know, take me on where you walk. You know, take me on your circuit. I have a circuit. I don't know about you guys, but I have a, places that I know are going to, you know, are, 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 will be fruitful. You know, lots of stuff happens there. So I t we walked down New Bond Street, which is where all the posh people go, buy all lots of diamonds and things. And I'd been walking past that sign for about six months, uh, always thinking, wow, that's a really cool advert. And on that particular day that I was with Joel Meyerowitz, someone had dumped a skip there. And I said, Joel, look. And he said, oh my God. He said, he actually, it's beautiful. And I said, I know, it's mine. <laughs> <laughs> and I took, I took uh, the pictures and um, it's one of my favorite pictures. <gasps> well, I, I have to say, I really love standing in front of people and, and looking at um, how enthusiastic you all are. And I feed off that. So it's just a, a real like, honor to be here. So thank you so much. Thanks again for joining me. Please remember that you do make a big difference to our show. Take the time today to write a review in the iTunes store and make a small contribution to the show. It all goes a very, very long way. To access our complete archive of interviews, download the free Candid Frame app, available for Apple iOS, Android, and Windows 8. 
Links for each can be found in the show notes and the website at thecandidframe.com. The Candid Frame audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. And our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. And this is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame. <laughs>